morning, everybody. I don't know how to follow that. I'm glad it's not about performance, amen? It's not about performance. God is so good. If you have your uh, Bible this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um, any of you guys ever watch uh, like that show Hoarders? Anybody ever seen that? Hoarders? Hoarders? You know what a hoarder is? Hoarders, yeah. You know what a hoarder is? A hoarder is somebody who they just collect and collect and collect and they feel like they have this need to save everything. Some, and they'll save, some people will save like food wrappers. You know, it's, it's or food. <laughs> so it's, it's either, it's clearly garbage, but they can't let go of it. And, um, and if you go into their houses a lot of times, there's no order. There's, they think there's order, but there's no order. They'll have, uh, I, I was, I was, uh, actually, I was in a lady's house who was a hoarder one time, and um, I stopped to ask for permission to coon hunt behind her property, um, and immediately wished I, I hadn't. <laughs> she said, oh, come in, come in, come in, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, little old lady, she was probably in her 80s, and uh, I walked in the door in the kitchen, and Right away, I smelled something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And uh, as I looked around, I didn't dare walk around, because clearly I could see something was going on. I, I looked around, and there were stacks of newspapers everywhere. Apparently, that's like one of the things that people will, will keep. And, and even if she was older, it may have had something to do with maybe growing up in the Depression and not having more... I don't know, I can't diagnose that type of thing, but, but what I noticed was that there was just stacks of newspaper everywhere, and there were paths you could walk down through the house. It was almost like it was, she was building a house inside of her house with these papers. And um, so that's one of the things, probably the least dangerous thing you could probably hoard, but at 80 some years old, she was walking through there and one of those sacks fell over on her. That thing that she was collecting and she was holding onto could have killed her. Well, on these TV shows, they'll have these people. It's almost always a, it's almost always a single person that, that you find there are these hoarders. And I think sometimes it has to do with comfort, you know, trying to, trying to have some comfort or have control over something because something's gone awry. And, and uh, a lot of times they'll have, the refrigerator will be packed full of food and the refrigerator doesn't work or the refrigerator cannot keep up with everything being in there and the stuff just goes bad. And sometimes when things go bad like that, the problem becomes so overwhelming that what happens? We, we don't move. We don't act. We don't, we don't do what we should do, what should come naturally for us to do. Um, we don't get rid of those things that are, that are you know, weighing us down. You know, if, if you were out in the middle of the ocean swimming... And you had an option between me throwing you a life ring or throwing you a cinder block, which would you choose? The cinder block. Of course, because it makes sense. No, not really. You'd ask for the life, the life ring, right? Something to hold me up, not something to drag me down. It's, it's that mindset that things aren't where they should be. Things aren't going the way that they should be that I think sometimes is so pervasive 
not only in the life of a hoarder, but I'm telling you, church, in the life of, of everyday people. Every, people you come into contact every day with are dealing with stuff that they can't control. They're dealing with a mess in their lives that they can't bring order to. And um, I, I stumbled across something this week, and it made me really stop, and then it made me start to search the scriptures. And <clears throat> Capernaum, you ever heard of this place, Capernaum? Anybody know what it means? It's a compound word. It's actually two words put together. And um, put together, simply, the town Capernaum means a comfortable village. Now, for those of you who live in Ionia or in Sheridan or Crystal or Orleans or Stanton, I'm looking around Belding, Greenville, Shiloh. I don't know if that's really a town. they got a sign like it's Shiloh. I think it's Orleans, right? Basically. You live there because you're, you, you're either comfortable there or you become comfortable there, right? You, you chose to live there. You chose to stay there because... That became home. And um, this, this Capernaum means a comfortable village. And, but you have to go a little further than that. And um, we've talked about how names mean things, right? When you, when you transliterate, or tra yeah, transliterate the word Capernaum to English from the Hebrew, uh, because it was a Hebrew word first that was transliterated to Greek and transliterating it to English, um, this is what it means. It means a jumbled up mess without order. Or a comfortable village. Right, and sometimes our jumbled up mess without order becomes our comfortable village. You know, in, in, the, in the King James Bible, we hear this word of shambles, right? And everybody thinks, oh, it's just a mess. But that's only part of it. A shambles is a, is a, um, it's a marketplace that's in disarray. So a shambles isn't the mess, it's the place specifically that is a mess. Imagine, if you will, you went into Meyer tomorrow, and they took down all of the signs that hang above the aisles that tell you um, what's in there, you know? Milk, uh, eggs, you know, well, those would be easier because you know, those are gonna be in the coolers, but cereal and, and your rice and your baking goods and, and, and your box goods, your macaroni and cheese, all of these things, right? Now when you walk into the mire, all of the canned soups are in the canned soup aisle. All the canned vegetables are in the canned vegetable aisle. All your, your dry goods are in the dry good aisle or aisles. But they're, they're, they're put in order for a reason. Why are they put in order? They're put in order so that you can find them easily. They want you to come in, get your crap, and get out. Give them your money on the way out, but they, well, that's what they want. They want you in and out. What, what would it be like if tomorrow you went into Walmart or Meijer and you said, oh, I just got to go in for a couple of things. I know for me, I go to the grocery store and I, I have to have a list because if I don't go in with a list, what happens, Roger? You come out with a lot of stuff you don't need. And, uh, but, but what happens if you were to go in thinking, I need flour, I need some olives, and I need some cream of mushroom soup. So you go in and you're like, okay, I know where you're going because I've been here so many times, I know right where everything's at. Olives are in aisle four, cream of mushroom soup is in aisle eight. What was the other thing I said? 
That's why I need a list. Flowers in aisle seven. So you head down to aisle seven, I'll grab the flower first. So. You head down to aisle seven and you're like, you're looking around and like, where's the flower? Where's the sugar? Where's the brown sugar? Where's the baking goods? Oh, wait a minute. There's, no, that's not flour. What is that? Why is that here? So then you start looking around. And what should be a quick, easy thing isn't because things are out of order. So you say, okay, well, maybe I'll find it while I'm looking for the other thing. Something's going on here. So you walk over to aisle seven to get the olives. The olives aren't there. You look around and you're like, well, there's soup in this aisle. Why is there soup in this aisle? This is the olive aisle. And the things that go with olives belong in this aisle. So you go and you say, oh, I guess I'll grab the cumin mushroom soup. So you walk over and you're like, that's chicken noodle soup. Okay, you know the Campbell's thing is there with all the soups in it. The only thing in it is chicken noodle soup. And you look around like, I don't need chicken noodle soup. And why are they all full of chicken noodle soup? This one says cream of celery, but it's got chicken noodle soup in it. There's no order. So we get all messed up and all disheveled, and, and our day goes to pot over three items that we can't find because of a lack of order. Sorry, that's, that's what happens when I make up my own stories. <laughs> that's why I go searching the internet for good stories to be part of the introduction. That's the best I got. They, they put things in order for a reason, because order is helpful. Order helps us to achieve and accomplish what needs to be done. In Matthew chapter 4, if you've already looked at the heading in your Bible, it probably said something like, Jesus starts his ministry, or Jesus begins his ministry. So let's read that here real quick. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. It says, now, I'm going to have you underline four things as we go through here, because these are the four things I want to talk about this morning. And... Um, Maybe you'll be able to come back to them later and, and, and dig a little deeper, but um, I, I have an 11-part series that God gave me out of this. So um, I believe it's important. I believe it's important for a non-believer. I believe it's important for a believer. It's, it's important for every churchgoer. Um, so let's, let's get into this. Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, he departed Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. Underline that. He came and dwelt in Capernaum. Okay? Which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who, underline this, sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon, and here's the next thing to underline, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light is dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Underline that last part, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ooh, that was a Freudian slip. The kingdom of leaven is at hand. That might be the world we're living in, amen? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin wrecks everything. Ooh. 
I want you to think about something here. Jesus came and dwelt in Capernaum. He began his ministry where we think it's comfortable. But see, Jesus sees things as they really are. There is nothing that is hidden from, from God. Nothing that we can hide from God. Nothing we can sleep under the carpet. Nothing that we can just ignore and put in a corner. God sees everything for the way that it is. We can't bluff God. I've got two aces, God. God's like, you got a two and a three. You can't bluff God. You, you just can't. So what happened was Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm going down here. I'm, I'm going I'm to begin this ministry, but this is where I'm going to start it at. I'm going to start it where you're comfortable. And you know what happens a lot of times when, when Jesus shows up, we're comfortable where we are. And because we're comfortable where we are, there, we don't see a need for change. We look around and we think, my stacks of newspapers everywhere are no problem. My, my uh, rotting food in the refrigerator is not a problem. And, and we respond the same way that these people who on these TV shows, when, when the people who come in and sort of have the intervention, when those people show up, the person who's living in it thinks these people are out of their minds. You want to take away all these things that are important to me? You want to, why would you do that to me? I'm comfortable here. This is how I'm used to living, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Who are you to judge me? Well, guess what? When Jesus shows up in the place that we're comfortable, guess who's living with us? Sin. And we become comfortable with it. You know, I've got this thing going on in my life. I've got, I've got this issue going on in my life. It does, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a hoarder of sins. Do you know that? If you have just one sin that, that, that you're living with, it separates us from God. And we're, it's our comfortable little village that we're living in. It's our Capernaum. But it says that Jesus, he came in and dwelt in Capernaum. Jesus comes alongside of us. And he lives in our mess without order. If we'll ask him to. And you know that, that a lot of times when, when, when Jesus when we're introduced to Jesus and Jesus shows up and, and we begin to converse with him, we begin to live with him, we, we think, oh, I've got to get everything cleaned up right now before I invite Jesus to move in. Do you know Jesus will move in even if you're a mess? And he'll, he'll begin to change your life. Because he desires to free us of the burden of, of our mess, of our sin. <clears throat> My daughter Emily, when uh, she was younger, I had to take the door off of her bedroom once because I needed her to understand where I was coming from. Emily was not a clean teenager. We would wash her laundry, take the laundry to her, and say, fold your stuff, put it away. And Emily would go, Foom, and flip it over on the floor and then walk on it. I'm like, how? And she'd give us the basket back. And, and every time I would go to open the door, I would, you know, it'd be wedged, closed, wedged under the door. And I'd be like, Emily, you won't be able to get out of here if there's ever a fire. What parent has ever used that excuse? If there's a fire, you're going to die because your room's a mess. We probably all used it. I used it. And I, I finally got to the point where I was like, Emily, I'm trying to make this point to you that this is not healthy. This is not safe. 
this is it turns out that when when she finally moved out of that when we moved out of that house and got ready to move um, she had an air conditioner in her window to keep her room cool well she didn't realize that she felt like it was tilted a little bit and it shouldn't have been tilted you know they do that for a reason so the water can run out to that she straightened it never said nothing to dad so we're cleaning up her room taking her clothes off the floor and throwing them in garbage bags so that we could go wash them so she could throw them on the floor at the new place. Um, and as I picked all this stuff up, I noticed, I, I went to take a step, and I noticed, ooh, the floor is really soft right there. It had leaked onto the floor and rotted the floor. But you couldn't see it because the mess was in the way. And that's how, you know, that's how sin works in our lives, is, is the mess gets in the way. And pretty soon it's not about the sin anymore. It's just about the mess of everything else that's going on. And now I can't even deal with the sin issue once it's revealed to me. Because it's too big. And I'm too close and I'm too used to living in the mess. I've gotten used to the smell. I've got, I, I figured out where to walk, where I can tiptoe around the issue safely. I, I, I learned who to invite in and who to, who to keep out. You ever been there, guys? I've been there. I was a teenager. I was human. I am human. I've been there. And maybe you've been there too. The thing about Emily's mess is we would go in and try to clean it and then she would be like, well, where's my so-and-so? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. We just put it on a shelf or we hung it up. Or She goes, well, I won't be able to find it now. To her, her mess was orderly. She had her own system of dealing with her stuff. So, so there, was a, there was an order, at least she thought, to her mess. Church, we're the same. When it comes to sin, there's an order to our mess. There's a method to our madness. There's a reason why we do the things that we do. And we think, wrongly, that Jesus can't come in and live, live with us and live amongst us until we clean it up. Until we put some paint on it. Until we shore up the floor a little bit. Until we pick up the dirty clothes. Until we, til we somehow try to meet the standard. So the new tenant can move in. Not realizing that if we don't just let him move in, we're just going to be doing things on our own strength. And pretty soon we're going to end up right back where we were. Stacks of newspapers everywhere, rotting food in the refrigerator. Life just falling down all around us. When Jesus shows up in your life, Tell me it wasn't where the mess was. When, G when you first met Jesus, tell me it wasn't where the mess was. How many of you came to Jesus and there was nothing going wrong in your life? There's usually some action, something that's going on that spurs us, that we, boom, the light comes on and we see there's a need. Some of you came to Jesus as a six-year-old. But you found out later there was a mess. You didn't realize as a six-year-old or eight-year-old that there was a mess. But later on, we realized there's a mess. There's something that needs cleaning up. Jesus shows up where the mess is. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Jesus is the friend that you call when you've let your cats live in the basement with one litter box, and they live down there for a year. 
You're not supposed to tell that story. I was leaving the names out of that one. Jesus is the friend you show up who helps clean up that mess. Jesus deals with the, the inconvenience, and Jesus deals with the, the, the stink of our lives, the stink of our sin. And he wants to. I, I once got called to help ask somebody move, and there was cat litter boxes in the basement with cats that had lived down there for a year, and they had cat litter for about two weeks. You can imagine the entire basement was a cat litter box. I'm not the guy to call for that. But in a sense, that's, that's how our lives look when Jesus shows up. Because if you say that Jesus didn't show up in your mess, that's self-righteousness. That's, there's an issue. That's pride. There's an issue with that. Jesus shows up because we have a mess. He showed up because we have a mess that needed cleaning up, that we couldn't clean up, and we couldn't pay somebody else to do it. So he said, you know what, I'll come take care of it, and I'll do it for free. That's a pretty good friend, eh, wouldn't you say? Number two, it says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. You know, if you lived in those conditions, and somehow you're convinced of the truth, the light bulb comes on. And you look around and you think, what have I done? And there's some of those hoarder shows where you'll see that the light will come on. And it'll start with, okay, I'll, I'll throw this out. I'll let, I'll let go of this. Or, um, I guess I don't really have to have that donuts package from 1986 anymore. I can let that go. God will clean us up. But he cleans us up on his timetable, not ours. He'll, he'll, he'll um, come in and come alongside of us and he'll carry the garbage bag along and as you're handing things over to him willingly because he won't mess with you on the things you won't willingly give up. He'll take care of the little things first. He'll make room for you to grow. And, and you'll be like, okay, here you go, Lord. Put this in the bag. I'll give this over to you, Lord. We start to hand out the things that we realize don't have value in our lives. But we'll still hold on to the bigger things, the, the gaudier things, the expensive things, the heavy things, because we haven't fully given over yet. But God's patient like that. God is patient. He doesn't, like, hey, I got somewhere to be. Um... Can we speed this along? No, he's not like Tracy. Man, I, I could be fishing. And I could be doing so many other things right now. No, that's not how Jesus operates. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's loving. He's kind. He's encouraging. He's not beating you over the head with a rule book. See where it says right here in this contract? No cats in the basement! He's not like that. Oh, you got a cat? Give me the cat. We'll put the cat in the bag. Just kidding for you cat people. <clears throat> Exposure happens. When, when we get to the point where we think we've partnered with Jesus for change, and we've, we've done all these things that we think, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. God's 
not put down the garbage bag. He hasn't thrown the garbage, okay, tied the garbage bag up, taken out by the curb, okay, I'll, I'll see you later. He's still standing there with the garbage bag because his garbage bag doesn't get, doesn't get full. And he's just standing there and he's like, he starts to look around. And he says, hey, um, you know you got rid of that black and white TV from 1978? Uh, why don't we get rid of that beta, Betamax? Well, don't get rid of the VHS because those are going to be valuable. It'll make them anymore. But anyway, no, just kidding. Let's get rid of that too because, see, that goes along with this. Yeah, but, well, you don't even have anything to go with that anymore because I've already taken that out of your life. You see, you don't need that anymore. I've, I've, I'm going to replace that with something better. I'm going to release you from the worthless junk that you've taken on and made precious. Remember what I talked about last week? Because you're precious. And it's not healthy for you to live here anymore. I'm using all these hoarder things, but I'm telling you, everything that Jesus picks up and pulls out of your life, it's sin that you don't have to take on, that you don't have to live with, that you don't have to be satisfied with. And none of us in here can say that we live in a house that's 100% clean. Nope, Jesus came in, he cleaned everything, and I've never put anything else back in there that doesn't belong Okay. Okay. Every once in a while, you got to do a little spring cleaning. I got to do some spring cleaning, yet, spring cleaning, fall cleaning yesterday. Everything out of the garage, everything back into the garage. And then you look out in the driveway and you go, okay, I got rid of some stuff. I have room to park and walk around. And it's good to, to take account, to look around and, and see what doesn't belong. And we talked about last week when we did communion about how we're supposed to examine our lives, see that there not be something in, in there that doesn't belong. And, and when we do that, then some, we have to do something. We can't look around and go, nope, can't see that. Yeah, hey, there's nothing over here in this corner. This corner's clean over here. And this corner looks pretty good too. Meanwhile, we, we put blinders on every time we want, nope, 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 don't. Oh, yeah, okay. This, this, look at what I've done over here. Do you see what I've done? I put this new floor in over here. Yeah, but you didn't really fix the problem. See, you got that leaky air conditioner. It's still in the window. You got to get rid of that, that old air conditioner. The way it's installed is wrong. The idea, the understanding that you've taken about that air conditioner and the way it's supposed to function, your religion, if it's not working the way that it's supposed to be working, if it's pouring in instead of pouring out, there might be another message there. I'll leave that up to you guys to figure out. But if, if all you're doing is pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, then you're not letting out, and there's, there's probably a problem. You probably have to clean some mess up later on. But when Jesus does what he does here, he says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. It wasn't a light of judgment. It wasn't a light of, I wish you would have really done it this way. It wasn't a light of, see, you're not as good as me. He just simply shined a great light for these people that were living in darkness. And they had an opportunity to respond. See, they didn't have a responsibility to respond. They had an opportunity to respond. A responsibility takes choice out of it. But an opportunity 
gives us choice, gives us a, a, a voice in the matter. It says in, in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, as soon as I find it here, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Do you see that? We'll sit in darkness in our sin. We'll sit in darkness in our mess. And then when the light comes on, you can't help but see it. But he, and he gives us that choice. Number three. The third thing is it says, those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light is dawn. That's hope. That's hope. You know, sometimes we get so far in our mess, so far in the darkness, so far that just everything out of whack. You can't even find a light switch to turn the light on. But here's a really cool thing about, about God. If you remember that story about the parable, uh, the, the uh, prodigal son, I believe that God, that, that, that the light, the hope that Jesus gives and possesses and shares with us is a motion sensor light. Because in the, the story of the prodigal, you remember he was living with the pigs and he was out living the way they wanted to live and, and he didn't want to be accountable to anybody, he just wanted his inheritance. And then when the inheritance was gone, he's left without. He had nothing to eat. He had no friends. His friends were gone. He had no money, no friends. He didn't have, all he had was the, was the, the empty bottles that, that he'd been drinking from or the, the, the memories of the bad debauchery, the debauched things that he had done. And, um, but something happened. He realized something. And the light came on. Well, he realized that there was a light, is what he realized. There was something better. And it says that when he started to go home, and when his father saw him, when his father saw the movement, huh? When his father saw him afar off. Afar off, yeah. The father began to run to him. He ran to him. The light, whoo, there's movement. The light comes on. And Jesus comes running, amen? Jesus comes running when the light comes on. He's the light. He's a motion-sensing, motion-detecting God. All he has to see is your willingness to move. And he responds. But he will not turn the light on for you. He waits for us to respond. He doesn't say, here's the light. You know, Motel 6, I'll leave the light on for you. Click, 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 see it? I'm signaling. He sees movement, and he responds. And he brings hope. Because you know what happens when you see the light? You begin to move towards it, further, faster, further from the old life, and faster towards that light, towards that hope, towards those promises. And number four. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the kingdom of heaven? It's the place that God lives. Where does God live? Where? Where does the Holy Spirit reside? On the throne of our hearts. 
Whenever Jesus, and you just look at this, you look through the scripture, do what I did with Capernaum, and look through the scriptures and see where it talks about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus constantly was saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when he was talking to people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, remember John the Baptist? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And guess what? It's the next thing that happened, remember? And then they saw Jesus walking down out of the mountain to get baptized, remember? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he saying? Hey, the one who is coming to do this great work that's more than just being baptized and then taking a bath. Because you know what? Without Jesus, you're just taking a bath. Without soap, you're just getting wet. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Jesus moving closer. That's what that's saying. When, when you see in the scriptures where it talks about that, that is evidence Jesus is moving closer. And then Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Remember those who have ears to hear? Let them listen. It's almost like a, 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 a little parable or a little story inside of a parable. Uh, why didn't you just say, hey, look, I'm the Messiah, I'm here. We talked about that at Bible study the other night, right? Don't say anything because it's not yet my time. Kingdom of heaven is near, it's just not here. It wasn't his time yet. But he was working individually through the people, and God still is working individually through the people, through his people, through the people, through people that you know, through people that we have marginalized, through people that we have said, for whatever reason, they're not worth my time to push into, to press into, to invest in. Do you know that those hoarders are precious to God? Those people that are, that are living under the weight of their sin, not realizing it, are precious to God. And Jesus wants to show up. And sometimes we think, oh, I need to bring them to church. I need to I need to um, I need to do religious things to get their attention. Do you remember the story of the woman who uh, Jesus met at the well and I talked about this lady? I, I'll go back to the story a million times because I love it. And there's so much to glean from it, but do you remember the woman who had the issue with the husband's issue? You know, and Jesus said, hey, you know, you've got five husbands and the one you're with now is your husband. And I, I kind of flipped that out of here a little bit and I said, you know, she was standing with Jesus. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ, and, and the man you're standing with is not your husband. And I think, that's a, I think that's Jesus saying, look, you're supposed to be my wife. Nate, you're supposed to be his wife. Don't laugh, you're supposed to be his wife too. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you're, we're the bride of Christ, that's the church. And, and God desires for all of us to have that relationship with his son. And um, after this whole issue, this, this, this kind of back and forth a little bit, and her wanting to not really uh, deal with what Jesus was shining the light on, the sin, because it's unpopular, we don't want to talk about that. No, Jesus was just, he was just being coy with her. No, Jesus was dealing with the sin. And something happened. She, they talked about worship, because that was her way to get around it. You know, we don't want to have a discussion about Jesus. Let's talk about religion and why your religion's wrong. Ever try to talk about Jesus and somebody wants to talk about your false, false religion? Or your faulty religion or your faulty ideals about religion? Jesus dealt with it and he said, oh, well, there's going to be a time that's going to come when none of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is that you're, how you're going to worship him, not where you're going to worship him. 
right? And, and so the story progresses, and, and they get to the end, and she got excited. She tried to hide, tried to hide, tried to hide. Boop, the light comes on. Jesus says, hey, what are you going to do with this? Motion sensor comes on, light comes on. She's like, oh, I, I got to go to town. And, and she said, what did she say? She said, come and see a man who knew everything I ever was. Not come and hear about, not come and um, read about what I wrote about it. Not, no, come and have your own experience with the one. Come and draw near. Come and have a relationship. Come and see. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and all these things. Come and have this relationship with the Savior. Who's not beating me up about who I've been but is more concerned with who I am and who I'm going to become than who you are. Don't let who you've been, don't let your old hoarder mentality keep you from pressing in to the real, the real thing. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, that wasn't too hard. Jesus shows up to create order where there isn't any. We think there's order. We think that there is, everything is as it should be. But the minute that God begins to play Jenga with our sin and our lives, he pulls out the, the shakiest piece and our house falls down around us because we build our foundation on something other than him. When Jesus showed up in Capernaum here, what problem was being addressed? What did Jesus do in Capernaum? I, I read it to you at the, right at the very beginning. It, what, what happened in Capernaum? What did I say happened? Your Bible might have a couple of headings, but what was the, the gist of it? Do you remember? I haven't talked that long yet. Well, yeah. His ministry began there. Do you know why Jesus came into Capernaum? Because... There was no ministry there. You know why Jesus came to the earth? Because there was no correct ministry here. The old, the old way wasn't getting it done. People were going and making their sacrifices, but their lives weren't changing. And God knew that that wasn't going to cut it because the hearts weren't being changed. The situation was not being changed. They were still living in the mess. problem with Capernaum was there was no Jesus. And every time that Jesus finds a Capernaum, he shows up. And he offers to help clean up. He doesn't offer to help clean up. He offers to clean up. He offers to clean up and he says, hey, just go ahead and sit right there. Watch me while I clean. Watch and see what I can do. And you thought it was going to be this. This was going to be something you were never going to get rid of. You got the needle in your arm. You got, the, you got the, all the bills passed due because you're so strung out on life that, that you've forgotten all of your other responsibilities. And God says, just watch and watch me while I do this work. And I'll clean you up. I'll get you clean. I got a piece of advice. Try not to be too long. Uh, from a lady on my route this week. And I probably should have put this at the beginning, but I didn't want to get your hopes up. Mrs. Geisen is an uh, octogenarian who lives on my route. 
Um, she is a lady who is shut in. She's Catholic. She's a very devout Catholic. And we've had some conversations, and, and um, I love her, but she's got some weird Catholic beliefs. But one of the stories she was telling me the other day was her son, her husband John, was in World War II. And um, his very first deployment, I, I still haven't gotten to the where the deployment was, but it, I think it was in Italy. And um, he was a private. He won. And he was put with an O-1. First lieutenant, second, first, second lieutenant, right? Second lieutenant, sorry. Uh, so a private, a, a butter bar lieutenant. Both of them starting at the bottom. One just starting higher because he had a college education. Both knowing the same amount of stuff. And, and here they are. They're turned loose on the battlefield. And 30 minutes after the battle starts, this John Dyson is talking with this guy. I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Pat. And he's having this conversation with him. And turns out this Butterbottle Lieutenant is from Pawpaw, Michigan. And they, have, they begin this friendship, a 30-minute friendship. Because 30 minutes after it started, they got shelled. Something happened. I'm still unclear on the details because Mrs. Geisen, she swirled. She, she gets a little sidetracked sometimes. So I tried to bear with her. I'm going to get the whole story someday. But she, she said that he, um, they had this friendship. That the Butterbar Lieutenant said that if anything ever happens to me, I want you to look up my family as soon as you get home and just tell them how much I love them, how much they mean to me. <coughs> and surely enough, you know, John Geisen was, was really taken by this man. 30 minutes later, he was dead. And for like two hours, this man's body was laying on top of John, bleeding, and, you know, dead and bleeding on him. Couldn't move. And, um, it would go on that John would get a silver star, a bronze star, and uh, one of them was with a V for valor. And he was, he was quite a soldier. And he came home and he did what he said he was going to do. And um, God used him in a, in a really cool way. He became mayor of Belding, and, and he'd been over to Dearborn to speak over at Dearborn and won some awards for the things that he did to, um, as mayor. They were giving him awards all, over, all around the state because of the things he was doing as, mayor, as, as a mayor in a little town. And Carmen, she'll just tell you how it is. And one of the, she, they had gone to Dearborn to accept this award, and John went up with uh, three by five note cards, like 40 of them. And he had written down everything he wanted to say because it was important. This is what spoke to me. She began to say this, and I was like, oh, Lord. You're going to use this Catholic lady to read my mail, to, to change something about me, to, to, to reach me where, where I, I and, and get me uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, here we go. I knew it was coming. And uh, she said, they got home, and she stood right in his face and pointed at him. She said, if you do that again, I will never go with you again to one of these. And he's like, what did I do? She says, if you don't know your material, don't you dare get up there and depend on your notes. You know your material before you go in. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. See, it's not about knowing the material. My, my, my issue is a trust issue. 
I wasn't trusting God to, to, uh, to keep me on track. I wasn't trusting God to let me... Now, it's okay to, to have notes. That, that's just my notes, you know? So I'm like, okay, Lord. So that's one of the things God was teaching me this week as I was getting ready for, for today is, is just, hey, you don't got to do your own thing. You don't got to have this. You don't, you know, just know yourself going in and depend on me. And, and that's what she said. She said, if you're not going to be going more prepared than that, where you have to depend on your notes, then you shouldn't be speaking. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, Catholic lady who doesn't mostly make sense to me. But, you know, I don't think she meant to, she had no idea one of the things I was dealing with. That's been a thing I've dealt with for a long time. But God is slowly getting me to, to just depend on what he's already shown me and, and lean on what he showed me. And you know what, church? I can encourage you in the same way. Lean on the things that God has shown you. When you feel like, I can't talk to this person about God because I don't know the scriptures well enough. Lean on what God has showed you. Lean on the things that you know. What do you know about God? More importantly, how is your relationship with him and can you talk about that? Come and see. We want to tell. But how about if we just say, hey, why don't you come and see? Let me, let me show you what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Let, let my, my life that's still bumpy, that still has warts, that still isn't everything that God wants it to be. But let me show you what I came from. And I'm going to use some words, but I'm going to draw some pictures for you too. Let me show you. The one who's, who's, who knew everything I ever did. And yet he still desires a relationship with me. So guess what? You're not nearly the mess I was. And he still desires a relationship with you. If we can turn around the idea of religion and get to a place of relationship and introducing people to a relationship with Jesus, religion will take care of itself. Amen? Amen.